Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I'm back. Just when you thought it was safe to get back to watching CNN, I'm back. I told you yesterday I was going on vacation, but I said that I would do the show if the Supreme Court came down with its very important decision on race and affirmative action in colleges and universities. And I predicted they would come down with that decision today. So check another one for a correct prediction. It's a very important decision. You know, how long was it now? 60 years ago must have been 60 years ago, on a hot day in August, I was on the, the mall and listening to a guy named Martin Luther King make a speech. And I heard him say the words, I have a dream that someday my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the quality of their character. And that day is today. That day is the day that Martin Luther King's dream finally became reality, at least became constitutional reality. Who would have imagined that that liberal approach, that approach championed by Martin Luther King, championed by Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas, the most liberal person who ever served on the Supreme Court, championed by me since 1970 when I've been opposed to the use of race and affirmative action. Who would have imagined that that liberal, colorblind approach would have been decided on by a six to three vote with the six voting for the liberal approach being six conservatives and the three voting against the liberal approach being three liberals. How the world has changed since Martin Luther King. How I wish we could go back to the days of Martin Luther King when we knew what equality meant. Equality meant meritocracy, judging people based on their own accomplishments, on their own hard work, on overcoming difficulties. And the Supreme Court says you can take into account overcoming difficulties. You can even take into account if somebody's race has had an impact on their life, either by discriminating against them or encouraging them to do better, that's okay. But what you cannot do under this decision is just say black, white. If you're black, you get certain advantages uh, in admission. And if you're white, you don't. I mean, under the old system, which we're blowing taps for, under the old system, the following could occur and did occur. Believe me, it did occur. The Supreme Court said that admission to places like Harvard is a zero-sum game. Of course, there are 2,000 places, 60,000 applicants. Um, that means the statistical odds are getting at a pretty darn low. But every time an African-American kid is given an advantage because of his race, 
some non-African-American kid, generally in this case, an Asian-American kid, is given a disadvantage. So the example that I like to use is, let's assume there are two people who are up for admission, there's one place left, and there are two people up for admission in the zero-sum game. One of them is a wealthy African-American kid whose father is a federal judge, his mother is a hedge fund operator, uh, parents, and, and he went to elite high schools, Groton and Exeter and Horace Mann, and um, they had great health care and tutoring and all of that. And, 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 and he's competing for a spot with a white kid from Appalachia whose mother died of a fentanyl overdose, whose father was an alcoholic who left the family before his mother died, who went to a mediocre public school and mediocre high school and really worked so hard and ended up getting better grades, better recommendations, better test scores than the rich African-American kid. So one is privileged. The African-American kid is privileged. One is unprivileged. Under the old system, the privileged kid gets additional privilege just because of the color of his skin. And the unprivileged kid gets a significant disadvantage just because of the color of his skin. That's wrong. That's immoral. Now that's illegal, thankfully. Now, how many faculty members at Harvard agree with me? You can probably count them on one or two hands. Well, no, you probably have a few more, but how many are willing to say they agree with me? One or two hands. You're not going to get very many Harvard professors. I gave an interview today to the Harvard Crimson, in which I praised this decision. Believe me, it will incur tremendous amount of enmity. The president of Harvard, who's an African-American woman, she's becoming president in two days. Um, and she already made a statement saying what a terrible, how terrible this was for some people and how difficult. And she promised she would comply with the decision. Let's wait and see. Let's see if there are attempts to circumvent it. Professor Lawrence Tribe, even before this decision came down, said he thought that Harvard was smart enough to figure out ways to get around this. The Supreme Court today didn't use the word quota, but they basically said there are quotas. They looked at the admission process over the last 10 years at Harvard, and they saw there's almost no variation in the number of blacks who are admitted, the number of Asian Americans who are admitted, the number of Hispanics who are admitted. There are quotas. You can call them targets. But they're quotas. And what's the worst thing about it is that advocates of race-specific affirmative action have a goal. They want the number of students admitted to Harvard and other places to represent the population. So since African-Americans are 13% of the population, they want 13% of the class to be African-American. Since Hispanic-Americans are 18%, I'm making that up, of the population, they want 18%. Where does that leave me? Where does that leave Jews? We're 2% of the population. Does that mean, according to this plan, no matter how well Jews do on tests, they can only be 2% of the class. That's what used to happen. That's what happened in the Soviet Union. That's what happened all over Eastern Europe. That's what happened in France and England in the old days when they had quotas. Um, you had quotas, which represented your number of people in the population. So uh, Jewish kids couldn't get into any schools. Even when I was growing up, Jewish kids couldn't get into medical school. They had to go to medical school abroad. 
or they had to pay bribes. And in the United States in those days, you could get into medical school if you paid the local congressman $10,000. I know, I know that for a fact, because I know people who did it. Um, and um, so it was a scandalous situation. We don't want numerous clauses, which is what the quotas were called. We don't want to return to the day when uh, the percentage of people admitted had nothing to do with meritocracy or quality. It had everything to do with what's the percentages. You know, we had that in the United States. Uh, in, in immigration policy, after the First World War, um, we had an immigration policy that allowed people to come into the United States only in proportion to the number of people who were in the United States from that group, mostly national group, uh, in 18, I don't remember, 50 or 1860. So it, it caused the death of at least two or three million Jews because Jews were kept out because there weren't very many Jews. There weren't very many people from Poland or uh, Czechoslovakia uh, or Russia. In the United States in 1850 and 1860, mostly they came from Germany um, and some from Ireland. Um, and so those quotas were very large, but the Jewish quota was was tiny and they wouldn't allow the expansion of the quotas even temporarily. And I would estimate probably 2 million Jews could have been saved from the Holocaust if the United States had acted morally and ethically. So I have been opposed to quotas literally since I was old enough to think, um, which was probably 17 or 18 in my case, because I was a pretty bad high school student, and elementary school student, but a really good college student. Uh, so I really began to think. I got into college when I was 16. So it was pretty, I was pretty young when I started thinking. Uh, and I hope I haven't stopped uh, uh, since. But since I've been thinking, I've been opposed to racial quotas. And as I said, 1970, 1976, 19, uh, through the 70s, I wrote a series of articles, law review articles, popular articles, one in the New Republic, one in the Cardozo Law Review, other places. And I spoke out against race-specific quotas as a liberal. At the time I was making those arguments, I was perceived of as being the most liberal person on the Harvard Law School faculty. And I was making the liberal argument, the liberal argument against racial quotas. Just like for years, I've been making the liberal argument in favor of Israel, not the conservative argument, the liberal argument. I make the liberal argument against things that many liberals don't support. And there's a big difference between what liberals who today are radicals and progressives often, um, big difference between what so-called liberals support and what liberal principles are. You know, liberal principles and conservative principles are very, very similar. Um, they both involve tolerance, uh, equality, uh, open-mindedness, uh, due process, free speech. So I'm much closer to classic conservatives than I am to radical leftists or progressives or certainly not the wokes. Um, uh, I think the, the wokes uh, are, are, are asleep at the wheel and um, they want an America is not based on our constitution, not based on our Bill of Rights. And so this case was based on our constitution, our Bill of Rights, and the Supreme Court rejected some of the worst arguments. Uh, the arguments that the Supreme Court rejected, including one which is almost funny, and, and Chief Justice Roberts went out of his way to really mock it. Harvard made the following argument. We have such a bad history, such a bad history of discrimination against minorities 
that we should have a special right to now discriminate in favor of minorities and, and, and Roberts and women. Well, what you're saying is because you were so bad, you get more rights than schools that were good. That doesn't make very much sense. Remember, Harvard had quota systems against Jews and against Catholics, particularly Irish Catholics and Italian Catholics, and uh, and of course women and uh, and others. And uh, Harvard had a horrible record when it comes to that. No worse than Columbia. No worse than Princeton. No worse than many of the other schools, including more recent schools like Stanford, which had a policy of discrimination as well. So now they're trying to make up for their policy of discrimination in the past by having a policy of discrimination in the future. And, and Robert said, <laughs> we're not going to give you that one. We're just not going to give you uh, that one. I mean, the other one that was rejected is the 14th Amendment has nothing to do with protecting white people or Asian people. The 14th Amendment, this is an argument that's been made now by Justice Jackson for a while, 14th Amendment only is applicable to African-American people and particularly African-Americans who had been enslaved and were freed in the Emancipation Proclamation, 63, and then the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments enacted in the years after the Civil War. They were basically reparation to enslaved African-American people, but don't use it if you're white or if you're Jewish or if you're Catholic or if you're no, it doesn't apply to you at all. Uh, doesn't apply to gay people. I don't know where the radical left would stand on that. Fourteenth uh, Amendment obviously was not designed to protect gay people. In fact, gay people at the time of the Fourteenth Amendment and, and thereafter were persecuted and, and, and often murdered, um, as were black people uh, persecuted and murdered. The Jim Crow laws and the lynchings, horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, but the Supreme Court rejected that argument too and said, no, no, the 14th Amendment applies to everybody. Equal protection of the law. That means equal, not preferential, not remedial. Equal. Equal means the same. Now, we don't use the word equal anymore in colleges and universities. We use equity. What does equity mean? The lack of equality. Equity means preferences to certain groups and certain races. Uh, politically correct equity, uh, intersectionality, section, sectionality as equity. No, the Supreme Court said equity means equity. Uh, and equ equality means equality. The 14th Amendment doesn't say the equitable protection of the law. It says the equal protection of the law. And we need equality. And so uh, I, this is a great decision. It's going to be a great decision for Harvard in the end. It's going to be painful in the beginning. Great decision in the end. It's a great decision for America. As I said, it fulfills Martin Luther King's a dream. I didn't see very much citation of Martin Luther King and the dissenting opinions. Um, and, and, and people like me, who have always been opposed to race-specific affirmative action, are now called racists. What a strange definition of racism. We want pure and complete equality based on meritocracy, and we're racists? Redefine your terms. Understand what the word racist means. We want everybody to be treated equally. And as the Supreme Court said, if you single out one particular group and say they need, they need preferential treatment, regardless of their economic situation, regardless of their educational situation, what it implies is that they, you believe that 
somehow black people can't compete, that they're not up to it. Nonsense. I've taught African-American kids. They are every bit as good. There are no differences intellectually based on, on race. And you can take into account poverty and other situations. But when you don't take that into account, when you say just race, you're suggesting something that's very invidious. And the Supreme Court hinted at that without quite, quite saying it. So the next question is, where do we go from here? Does this mean that all public institutions have to eliminate any racial preferences? Apparently, it doesn't apply to military academies. I don't know why. Uh, the army is integrated and in the army, everybody should be treated equally. Does it apply to uh, other governmental institutions? Um, we'll wait and see. Uh, schools are, are, are a paradigmatic situation where it should apply. Now, you know, the people who oppose it say, no, we, we want diversity. No, you don't. Radicals don't want diversity. Woke people don't want diversity. Progressives don't want diversity. You do not want to hear from conservatives. You do not want to hear from religious people. You do not want to hear points of view that are not your own point of view. You are the enemies of diversity, not the friends of diversity. You use skin color and gender to replace real diversity. Sure, having women in the class adds an important element uh, to the class, but not having conservative women in the class, God forbid, we should have conservative or Christian women uh, in the class or, or, or women in the class who are anti-abortion. Oh God, we don't want that kind of diversity, come on. We just want skin deep diversity, not intellectual diversity, but colleges and universities are supposed to be places where intellectual Diversity thrives. And at the same time, the school is seeking diversity based on race. They are opposing diversity based on ideology. They're not hiring people with diverse points of view. They're not admitting students with diverse points of view. If you can sneak in every so often, you get, you know, you get somebody uh, um, who really has a very conservative uh, point of view, like Ted Cruz. Um, you know, he sneaks in. He went to Princeton. He was the head of the debating team, so he sneaks in. Boy, did he add diversity to my classes. Everything I said, he disagreed with. Everything most of the students said, he disagreed with. That's the kind of diversity we need. Yeah, he's a Cuban-American. Did that matter? No, that didn't matter. Uh, he may have brought something to the class based on the Cuban experience. That's fine. If he, if he did, if his parents were oppressed by Castro, that's a factor to be considered. In, in admission along with others. I, by the way, think it's a small factor. I think that we have to return to the day when students are admitted largely through meritocracy. Now, meritocracy should be broadly defined. It shouldn't be only test scores and grades, but there should be test scores and grades. One of the ways, by the way, that colleges and universities are gonna try to circumvent this decision, they are abolishing grades. They are abolishing test scores. And if you abolish grades and test scores, then you can admit students on highly subjective factors. And those will encourage the surreptitious use of exactly the kind of racial criteria that the Supreme Court said no. So one of the ways of circumventing the Supreme Court decision will be to eliminate grades, to eliminate test scores. There are now movements to eliminate the bar exam. 
How about the medical exam? Do you want your surgery to be conducted by somebody who didn't have to pass the medical boards, who was selected based on factors other than medical excellence? Do you want your pilots in your airplanes to be picked, not based on their skills in the air, but based on other characteristics that are very hard to define? I can tell you, I was on an airplane, it was a year ago now, um, uh, on my birthday, and I was there with my whole family, my whole extended family, except for my daughter, was on the plane from Martha's Vineyard to New York, and the plane went into a horrible storm, and we all were worried that we might not make it. I don't think a single person on that plane was praying for a pilot who was picked based on race-specific affirmative action. We were all hoping that that pilot was the best person at the wheel and best person who could handle difficult flying conditions. And when you're going into surgery, you want the best doctor. I have to tell you a story about that, and then I'll take questions. I had to go in for some surgery a couple of years ago, and it was delicate because I had some issues. So I called all around to get the very, very best doctor in the New York area. And everybody agreed on the same guy. Every single person agreed on the same guy. And he had a very, I'm not going to give you his name, but he had a very, uh, very common waspy name. And I figured he's some six foot two inch uh, wasp uh, who went to a fancy school and went to this and grew up in a fancy neighborhood. I get to the operating room and there's this five foot six inch African-American kid from Brooklyn talking with a real Brooklyn accent like me. And he was the best doctor there was for my particular surgery. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled. The fact that he was African-American, it's not a factor. The guy did wonderful work. And that's what I want from a doctor. I don't want a doctor. I don't want a lawyer. I don't want a pilot uh, to serve some greater, broad social policy. Uh, I want him to get me where I want to go. And that's what meritocracy is all about. Would we have developed the way of defeating Nazi Germany in the Second World War if we didn't have meritocracy? No. The reason Germany lost is they got rid of meritocracy. They, they threw out all their meritocratic scientists, Jewish and others, and they came to the United States and developed the weapons that were necessary to defeat them. The lack of meritocracy is not good for any country. It's not good for any people. And it's not good for any morality. So not two and a half cheers, but three cheers for the Supreme Court today. I wish it had been a unanimous decision like Brown versus Board of Education was. And in another time, it might have been. If Bill Douglas was the liberal on the court, it might have been. I don't even know how Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have decided this case. She had, she had complex views on affirmative um, action. Uh, she went along with it, but she had, I know I spoke to her about it, and she had complex views on meritocracy and affirmative action. She supported it, but with some reservations. Uh, but there was a time when this could have been a unanimous decision. But today, ironically, six conservatives vote for the liberal position and three liberals vote for the uh, racist position, essentially, or the position that includes race and, and does not move us toward a colorblind society. I want a colorblind society. I wrote a book called The Case for a Colorblind Society in an Age of Identity Politics. And uh, this opinion, if it had been down before that, would have been a chapter in my book. All right. So let's take some letters. 
Um, would love to hear your opinion on Biden's impeachment. We all know he's guilty of selling out uh, this one uh, and respected country. Uh, and then another letter, Joe Biden has done plenty to be impeached and in prison. No, 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 he hasn't. Not at all. Remember, you're the people, many of you, who said President Trump can't be impeached for abuse of power or obstruction of Congress. Why do you now say that Biden can be impeached on the same grounds? That's hypocrisy. That's a double standard. For a president to be impeached, he has to have committed treason or bribery or other other high crimes and misdemeanors. And none of the things that he's been accused of credibly meet those standards. Now, look, if he was aware that his son was engaged in what appears to be an extortionate plot to get money from Chinese businessmen by threatening that his father would be sicked on him, even though his father was not either the vice president or the president at the time, you know, that conceivably could constitute the crime of extortion or conspiracy to extort. And then the question arises, can you be impeached for something you did before you became a president or after you were a vice president? Hard, hard question. Um, so I talked about my class, there were no right or wrong answers. Wait a minute. If there were no right or wrong answers in your class, how did you assign grades? Well, very easy. I assign grades based on the analysis, based on how thoughtful the analysis was, how rigorous the thinking was, how uh, creative and intelligent the arguments were. I couldn't care less if they came out the conservative side or the liberal side. That didn't bother me at all. I gave some of the highest grades in my class to, to conservatives. In fact, I said to my class, if you agree with everything I said in my class, you're going to get a good grade, a C. That's what you're going to get. If you agree with everything I said in the class, you're going to get a C. Because I grade on creativity. And so if you want to get your B or your A, take me on. Argue with me. Prove that I'm wrong and you're right. That's your, your guaranteed, your guaranteed A. Okay. Okay, I've already answered this question, so I'm not going to ask it. Um, okay, one letter, a couple of letters saying, Alan, you're wrong when you say nobody's ever watched all of my podcasts. A few came up with this answer. Hey, Alan, I have indeed watched every episode. Love the show. Keep it up. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll miss you and you'll miss me over the next, over the next few weeks. How did affirmative action begin? What details are known that the general public doesn't know? Thanks, Professor Dershowitz. You know, it's very interesting. I think affirmative action began when administrators looked at the classes that were being admitted at uh, universities and law schools, colleges, and honestly said, you know, there's something wrong here. We don't have enough people to have the most diverse kinds of conversations. When I came to Harvard Law School, well, let, let's start when I was at Yale Law School. When I was at Yale Law School, there were about 180 in my class. We had two African-Americans in the class. They were twins, a man and a woman. Fantastic. One became a court of appeals judge in New York. The other became a professor. They were my friends and they were phenomenal. But there were only two and there were only six women in the class. And that, there was something lacking. Now, the question was not, was there a lack of racial and gender diversity? The question was, what could we do about it without engaging ourselves in racial and, and gender inequality? Gender was no problem because once 
we applied a single standard. Um, women were at least as good as men. They performed as well, got as high grades. We didn't have to engage in affirmative action to create complete and total equality between men and women. It was different with African-Americans because of economic disparities, cultural disparities, uh, historical discrimination. And if you create a purely neutral, race neutral and equal system, you're going to get, at least back in those days, you were going to get fewer blacks. So the idea was, let's give the African-American applicants a little bit of a boost in order to have more in the class so we can have better discussions. That was understandable. Then it became completely systematic with quotas, um, with uh, demands. And, um, and as it started at Harvard, by the way, um, the majority of people admitted under affirmative action were wealthy and had gone to very good high schools. And I remember speaking to the president of Harvard about it. And he said, well, it's much easier to integrate uh, students into the school who have gone to high schools and come from families much like the ones that we already have. That doesn't add diversity. That adds different color of the students, but it doesn't add diversity because you're picking students who are almost exactly like the white students you already have. So then there began to be a little bit more emphasis on, uh, on race and, uh, and, and a little bit more on poverty as well. And so we created a situation where race was used. It was used often surreptitiously, but it was used, and it was used in a very rigorous, systematic way to produce almost identical numbers over given years. And, and, and the Supreme Court pointed that out. And so one hopes that is now ended and that uh, the next classes at all major universities We'll have a very significant number of uh, African-Americans and women and Asian-Americans picked on the basis of the quality of their character and the meritocracy and the hard work they did, but not on the basis of the accident of race or the accident of gender. So Tomorrow, the Supreme Court will come down with another important decision, but I'm not going to have another show based on that. They'll come down with a decision based on uh, the student loans. And they will probably hold, I wouldn't make a strong prediction here, but they will probably hold that Congress did not authorize the president to do this, but they may hold there was no standing. I don't think the Supreme Court's going to want to send a message to all these students. Now, they were kids, now they're adults. You're not getting your money. Um, I think they'll try to figure out a way of holding it unconstitutional, but not undoing what was done financially. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. And uh, we can talk about that when I get back. So uh, I hope you miss me. And I hope you tune back in um, when I come back in a few weeks. And uh, uh, have a great July. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.